Okay, cool. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Curtis will pray daily for the Lord to help him feel more secure as a man and to have clarity in his life. Curtis will have some type of Bible study, devotional daily, to learn and grow in his relationship with the Lord. Curtis will be active in church and dedicate his life to the Lord. Curtis will exercise... This is our new friend Curtis. When Curtis was 16, he came out as gay, and his family made him go to conversion therapy. What you're hearing are actual goals and instructions that were given to him by his therapist. I'm using the term therapist lightly here. His family insisted on finding someone that would uphold Christian principles with his, quote, problem, and, well... Curtis is going to limit time with friends who are gay-affirming. I think you see the problem. Curtis is going to read and study materials from the Narth and Exodus International websites. Curtis is going to do more masculine characteristic activities and adopt a more masculine persona. He will learn to frame things in a masculine frame. Male characteristic activities could be taking charge, being in control, and feeling competently powerful. Uh... Curtis will study women to figure out what types of characteristics are attractive to him. Curtis will bounce his eyes and thoughts to something else whenever he begins to have an attraction towards a male. Today on The Life After, we're going to talk to Curtis about his experience with gay conversion therapy. Uh, it's very sobering, uh, very eye-opening, and maybe triggering for some of us, but I think that it's going to be healthy for us to work through some of this. I think it's also important to note that Curtis's experience is not all that uncommon. Since leaving conversion therapy, Curtis has dedicated a lot of his time and energy into working with legislation and lawmakers to try and prevent this kind of thing from happening to other people. It's really a shame we have to talk about this, but let's get through it. I'm Chuck Parson. I'm Brady Harden. And And this this is is The Life Life After. So before we kick this episode off, I wanted to make a quick note. In the opening segment, Brady and I discussed the issue of pornography addiction. We make a distinction between compulsive behavior and addiction, but at the time, we weren't entirely clear on what the difference is. So I did some research and found out that it's actually kind of a blurry line. The main difference is that compulsive behavior is something that you do repeatedly without really having a reason to do it or really having control over the action. Addiction is really just compulsive behavior taken a step further to the point where the action is causing you personal harm or interfering with your relationships or your ability to function. So pornography probably exists somewhere in between those worlds and can kind of be either or. Further, neurologically speaking, there isn't a distinct difference between a, quote, porn addict's brain and a normal person's brain. Whereas with heroin, for example, scientists are able to note distinct differences in neurochemistry when they're exposed to heroin-related images. The same is not true for porn addicts in the same situation. While the use of the word addict is sort of batted around in the world of psychology, the Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, a.k.a. ASECT, recently issued a statement stating that, quote, from a scientific perspective, sex addiction is not real. The concern seems to be that categorizing the overuse of porn or sex as an addiction can misdirect the treatment of the problem to focus on not using, when often the real issue is other forms of mental health disorders like depression or anxiety. Also, at some point towards the end of the episode, we say that prominent Christian author Eugene Peterson came out as gay-affirming. That was true at the time, but it is no longer true. He took it back because he's a big fat wuss. I just wanted to clear that up. Oh, Okay, here we go.
Chuck, why don't you introduce yourself? Because you do it better than I do. I'm Chuck Parson. You're listening to The Life After. Yes. Before we get started today, uh, I've been answering some emails. And uh, some of our listeners, surprisingly enough, want to hear more about your life. I don't know. I don't. Yes. Oh, sure. Whatever. <laughs> I know, right? I guess they're out there. Yeah, I blocked them since yeah, then. Yeah, you're way, you're clearly more interesting, like just based on like generally reading Facebook comments and stuff like that. That's it's not like true. Brady. No, everybody's like, oh, it sounds so good. It's so well edited. I'm like, oh, People like God, my radio voice, I think, but that's about every, everything else is like, oh, I wish it was just Brady. <laughs> that is not true I'm just at kidding. all. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We like balance it. each other out. If we it was do. just me, it'd be like clown hour with <laughs> gay clown Brady. And it'll be like, waka, waka, waka <laughs> for an hour and a half. So what do, uh, what do, what yeah, do they people want to hear? hear? What, what do they want to hear? Um, and I want to hear about this too. They want to talk, uh, they want to hear more about your experience with um, kind of going through therapy and stuff with your, um, we, we're very careful of not saying it's not a pornography addiction, but uh, compulsive. Compulsive pornography use. Yes. I love, right. I love when we learn new terms and why they're worded the way they're worded. Yeah. Cause explain yeah, that. Because science, right. You know, you got to. It's not always right, but it's it gives us a lot of good answers. Right? What is the difference between compulsive use and uh, addiction? Um, it has to do with uh, with with brain chemistry. I don't. I I honestly am not a neuroscience. I couldn't comment on it very much. But if effectively, like when you are you when you're using porn a lot compulsively, it's it's because you you get a dopamine surge from it mm. and your body just starts to crave that dopamine surge. And what actually happens over time is that uh, you get so much dopamine from porn, like your body focuses everything on that and all the other things that are supposed to generate dopamine, like eating or like buying something new. It's the reward chemical, right? So, okay. so anything that is like a, a positive thing for you, that's when your dopamine is supposed to kick in. But you get so much from porn that you uh, that everything else just becomes boring because it's not generating enough dopamine and you wind up depressed or anxious. Interesting. Uh, because of this this effective imbalance, sort of the results from. And then, in a, so that would be a depend, or that would be a compulsive use, or is that yes, a, yes, okay. yes? So addiction is like uh, I I I couldn't properly properly. Well, I think the addiction is that there's actually a chemical with. In it, I think there's a, I think there's an external chemical involved. I think that's what it is. An addiction, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so I want to talk to you too because we've, we've, we've had a lot of discussions just off the air about um, the pornography use and and kind of just the mindset. So I think that's something that everybody has dealt with, and I think we become hyper aware of certain things whenever we are brought up in church culture. Correct. Um, but one, what do you think is at the heart of all of this? Because I, if I'm not mistaken. You use the word shame a lot when describing yeah, religious yeah. beliefs. So what you said about about hyper awareness is is very that's important, right? Because mm-hmm. in church culture there is this, you know, there's this like when when I was young, when I was like a Oh, here we go. When I was a boy when I was, let me tell you <laughs> we had to use dial up. No. Um so <laughs> When I was it when took I was like eight young, hours to watch one porn. So um, so Craig Gross, right, popular evangelical figure who talks about porn, triple X church guy. He was a triple X. Okay, yeah. I was about to say so I remember he, that name. He sort of like paved the way for a lot of churches to have a discussion about porn use, like, a, mm-hmm. and it's not a his, his approach. I don't agree with at all. I think it's like terribly misguided. I mean, maybe he's learned since then, but. 
Um, but until he came along, there wasn't really nobody talked about. You don't porn. talk about that. Yeah, you didn't talk yeah. about it um, until the you know this was like the early mid two thousands. You know, two thousand you know five or something is when he started to emerge as a figure and people started having discussions about it so it was like this super taboo but everybody was doing it but nobody was talking about it and it was like this secret this secret thing that held a lot of gravity right mm-hmm. in church culture um i remember when i was like 17 i think was when the, the the when i first started to think maybe i'm like addicted to this like maybe i can't stop um i remember standing outside of my youth pastor's office who I had a pretty good relationship with and like wanting to tell him about it and just like sweating oh, and man. staring and it yes. being this big thing, you know? And I eventually just sort of walked away. I was like, I, I don't think I can talk about it, you know? God, that's heavy for a teenager to go through. It is. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's where the, the shame comes in, right? Because when you have to hide something that is like a huge part of your life, Right. That causes you to feel shame. That causes you to to feel like there's something wrong with you, right? Personally. And um and that shame is what uh I think ultimately caused the snowball effect that led me into compulsive use to the point where I was like doing all these I was like involved in some pretty crazy negative behavior regarding porn. There was a period of time where like I didn't, we didn't even have internet at my house while I was married for a while because I didn't want to use porn because we also didn't want to pay for it because we were broke. But, uh, but I was, I would like leave and like go places and find porn or download porn and like, you know, come back or like, you know, wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like find porn outside of my house because I didn't have internet and it was like that bad, you know. Chuck, you just, I just, you just triggered a memory. You, you know what I did on, I had a laptop for a long time that had a switch where you can turn the internet on and off, like from airplane. I super glued it. Oh yeah. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff right. like that. And then, um, hotel parking lots because then you can get free Wi-Fi. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Right, right, right. Yeah. I forgot I, that I lived through this. Right. So, uh, you asked about shame and I, I, I very, like I have strong opinions about shame in church culture and i've I've said it a lot i think it it might take me too long to get into but i i think it's very pervasive well what do you what do you think religion would look like or your christianity that you grew up with so we're just talking about your experience um and we're not trying to like make sweeping generalizations about all of christianity but your your experience as a christian how different would it have looked if you did not have shame oh gee oh i don't know i have i i mean i literally can't imagine that because I think that for me, it would have cut out 75% of my thoughts about God and religion. Yeah, 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 I think so. And, and yeah, I'm that's just, a good I'm way just, to I'm put that. Number out, but. I would have prayed a lot less because I wouldn't have been trying to navigate this intense feeling right. of me being broken or wrong. Not or good enough. Some way. Yeah. In need of a savior. Right. All those things. So when you... Totally depraved. That was right. My, that was Total my. depravity. What's the connection then between shame and porn for you? Yeah, so um, so any any sort of addiction or compulsive behavior mm-hmm. starts with a wound, right? Some kind of like you're hurt by something, and so you find a thing that makes you feel better about it, but it's not a healthy thing, and then you use that, and then uh, that's where shame comes in as you feel bad about whatever the thing was that you used, whether, whether it's drugs or alcohol or porn or whatever, you know, uh, and, and so you, you feel bad about it. 
you feel shameful and that leads you right back into the use right because then you you know what makes you feel better it's the thing wow and then you you head right back into it right and that's what we call like a shame so if 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 the wound is the flywheel that's what starts the engine then Mm -hmm. shame is the fuel that keeps it perpetually like going back into itself right and the exit is to confront that shame and decide no i'm 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 okay. I'm just wounded, and then you confront the the initial. You confront where the problem came from instead of using the thing to avoid the problem, right? So for me, it was you know uh, it was my relationship with my dad in a lot of ways. I felt uh, for one reason or another was you know everybody's parents wound mm-hmm. them in some way, right? So I took that at the same time that my sexuality was budding. And I found porn and it made me feel good when I felt bad about, you know, whatever the the wound was that came from my parents. And I used porn to feel better, felt shame about using porn a lot because of the the culture that I was a part of. Right, right. Where my sexuality wasn't supposed to be accessible. It was put in like hy- hyperdrive. Right, yeah. It, was, it wasn't supposed to be accessible, but I had, but I found this outlet for that, so it sort of played two roles. And then I would just, I, I ran in that cycle forever until I realized why I, what I was running from that whole time. Wow. And then when I started to confront that, the need for, this this like primal driven need to watch porn fell off and it's not like i don't hold the belief that porn is like an inherently bad thing uh, but i think it can like anything that is powerful it can be unhealthy you know wow I, i'm i'm hearing you you describe like how you know your your christianity and everything really helped push that 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 shame right but but we start off by talking about compulsive use and addiction and it seems like that shame itself like that feeling of shame in a weird way kind of became a compulsive thing in and of itself too that yeah 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 it is yeah Yeah, uh, and i I would say that the idea of like repenting right and Mm -hmm. like altar calls and this need to to sort of like at the end of the day in church culture, you sort of like evaluate yourself. Yes. Look for your sin and then you confess. But all of that just like brings up a bunch of stuff that maybe you don't need to dwell on, right? It's keeping that in motion even it more. It does. It, it it perpetuates shame. It wow. really, it's it's really powerful how it does that. Uh, so the way that, that churches approach sexuality in particular, and really any kind of sinful behavior, quote unquote, right? It creates this, it's hidden, right? Like, so your sexuality is not something that you're supposed to access in X, Y, and Z ways, right? Okay. And because of that, because there, it's hush-hush, and because it's weird, and because it's, like, not a comfortable thing to talk about, particularly with teenagers, um, and because it's something that you're not supposed to dabble in, nobody really knows what to do with it, right? Because, like, well, if you talk to a 12-year-old too much about porn or sex then they might engage in behaviors that you think are they shouldn't, right. right? But if you don't talk about porn and sex, then they're on their own and they're discovering everything on their own and then they fall into these traps, right? And that's the sort of the catch-22 of the Christian view of sexuality, right? So I wound up in this 
situation where I didn't have a good outlet to talk about my sexual feelings as a teenager. Uh, so they had to go somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I started looking at porn, and then it just blew up into this cycle. You know, it was a perfect storm for me, and I think that's probably the case for a lot of a lot of men because it's an easy thing to access. It's very natural to have sexual feelings and to want to look at porn, and uh, everybody has like some shit that they're dealing with that they want to avoid. So I think that's sort of how it happens with a lot of anybody, not just men, obviously. Um, and, uh, that's sort of where that shame takes over and creates that cycle. Well, shame is a, is a big, is a big topic that we're going to talk about today. Um, right. we have Curtis here who, who went through conversion therapy and I mean, we got a little bit of a taste of the mindset of his counselors and therapists. And I use that term very loosely of, um, how they, they made him feel shameful for being who he is as a gay man. Um, so right after this, I want to get into our conversation with Curtis and figure out what that experience was like. Extra, extra, read all about it. Why are you trying to sell a newspaper on our podcast? I'm not. I'm telling our listeners about the blog. Did you know that the podcast is only one of the themes that we produce? Yes. We also have a blog on thelifeafter.org post about starting over after religious trauma but don't you think you're being a little extra i am extra and you can read all about it on the lifeafter.org i'm chuck parson welcome back to the life after uh we are here with our friend curtis new friend curtis what's up curtis nothing much just hanging out you know yeah heck heck yeah that was curtis everybody uh brady this is gonna be a wild episode yeah, I mean, we, we really haven't. The only other gay episode we've had was mine, and right. But this is like super super gay. gay. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we were so we've been going over some of this, uh, some of the material from from Curtis's past, and it's just out. It's outrageous. There's some crazy stuff that's going to come up, um, and it, I think. It might be a little triggering for some people, yeah, uh, that have been through this. But uh, our goal isn't to keep it on that level. We want it to be redemptive. So. Well, you know, the cool thing though is a part of therapy for a lot of people is exposure therapy, and I think that this podcast provides that is to kind of expose yourself to the things that you're. It's like what you said, where where if you keep things hidden, you keep it hidden underneath. You you need to lift it up and let the light shine on it. You know. It's. Uh, I hope it's kind of a safe place for that to happen, right? Like yeah. This context. So, Curtis, um, before we jump into your story, tell us after you've left conversion therapy and after you've done all of this, you've done some stuff with legislation and yes. lawmakers. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your experience with that. Um. So, when I when I was in college, uh, my uh, it was my second year in college, I think it was. Um, and I went through all this when I was 16, so this was several years later. Um, I got in contact with a um, a professor at my college that I went to, and uh, we, we started becoming friends, started talking, and um, she and I told her a little bit about my story, my past, and what I had been through, and I didn't really know what it was. I didn't know what conversion therapy was. I didn't know that that was an actual thing that had a name. And so she referred me to the Southern Poverty Law Center, um, where she had found a website where you could get online and you could um, you could put in like your information, your story, you know, where you went, 
Um, it was it was literally reporting conversion therapy. So I did that, and I got in contact with uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and it went from there to Equality Illinois, who was working with um, State Representative Kelly Cassidy, uh, who had um, written or wrote a bill um, to uh, ban conversion therapy um, in in Illinois. So I got in contact with them. And I went and I testified in front of the House of Representatives committee um, and the Senate committee, wow. uh, okay. as, as well as going to the governor and speaking with the governor about it. Crazy. So, uh, so what are you, uh, when you testify, what, what points are you hitting? Um, I really hit the points that, um, one of the big things that I, 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 I hit on a lot was the fact that I lost myself as a person. I didn't quite know who I was anymore mm-hmm. because the person that I thought I knew I was, I was being told that, well, no, you're not. No, you're, you're, you're not this person. You, you're confused. You don't know who you are. So that was, that's wow. what I really played on. Um, because I mean, that was, that was a big factor, like the damage. And then one of the things that, uh, also really, um, was a really big was a really big um, subject was the fact that um, it pulled my family apart. Um, okay. And I think that that really, that really um, struck a chord with the governor and um, people like that, that they right. were like, well, here's this practice that he went through that's supposed to help, but here he is talking to me saying that his family fell apart and it mm. just all went, you know, it all went down really badly. So, And you were 16 when you went through this? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we're going to wow. get into the details of that a little bit later, but I guess uh, talk a little bit about your background as a, so you grew, you grew up in church, but it was never, my understanding is it was never like a huge part of your life, right? It was just right. you were sort of a peripheral thing. It's what mm-hmm. your yeah. Did. I mean, we would go, um, and it, 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 of course, it, of course, spiked once I started going to conversion therapy and once I came out as gay, of course, that it, it spiked when we went through that. But beforehand, it was just like, yeah, I I go to church sometimes. I take part in the church plays, the Christmas plays, you know. Um, but it was never really strong. We didn't really read the Bible at home or do any kind of, like, praying at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do. I would, like, pray every night. I would try to. Um, but there was not any, like, big push to do it. Sure, sure. You know, yeah. It was just very passive. And even in church, it was just passive. It was just a bunch of standing up, singing, and sitting down. Like, there mm-hmm. was just nothing going on. It was... Really boring, actually. And you grew up in kind of a small town, right? I did, actually. It was, um, there was a study done uh, a couple of, maybe a year ago or so that rated it as the worst town in Illinois. Oh, whoa. Yes. No. Congratulations. What were the criteria for that? You won. Uh, population um, in reference to crime rate, poverty, and uh, Likelihood uh, of going theft. to conversion therapy. Right. 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 Oh, theft. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. So like okay. in reference, so like in the scope of our population, we had the highest rates of all of that compared to any other small towns wow. in the state. So did you attend like youth group or anything or what was your church like? Was it a lot of older people? It was a lot of older people. That's been my experience with like smaller towns. It's usually like yes. a, a boatload of older, of older people. Actually, yes. they usually travel in buses, busload of older people. They didn't know. There's no. usually one church that has like a thriving youth group in those little yep. towns and they all just kind of magnetized yeah and they're all just like well i mean they're my age Let's grandpa go. your church is cool but like there's people like you know no from <laughs> well, they have a slip and slide right <laughs> <laughs> right we okay. had it we had a youth group that was pretty good uh, we went to like current river and stuff but mm-hmm. 
we would always get together and we never like talked about like the Bible or God. We never, I mean, we did some praying every so often, but they made him resign because we weren't actually doing anything church related. Oh, okay. Ah. So, okay. so we would just get together and eat pizza it wasn't and good run enough. around. Yeah. Just so, socializing I mean, is not important. So tonight you showed up in a uh, rainbow colored tie dye shirt. Yes. Uh, I did. How obviously gay were you back then? Um, <laughs> I can awesome. ask that question. All right? awesome. No, I like it. That's funny. I could not. That's not my... <laughs> I mean, apart from the bumper sticker I have now. Um, what does your bumper sticker say? It says, I... I'm, I'm, I'm so gay that I sneeze glitter. <laughs> or I'm so gay I sneeze glitter. <laughs> yes. Every okay. so often yes. I'll catch people taking a picture of it while I'm stopped at a stoplight right, right behind yeah, me. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. But, Just uh, own it. Own it. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, it was always, I, I, of course, I was, I was bullied and we kind of talked about this earlier, just, you know, just in chat that, uh, I was bullied when I was in middle school and I was called gay a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was, I mean, I don't, I, I, I never fit the criteria of what a boy was supposed to be. You know, you sure. get into that, like, oh, you're supposed to be this, that, and the other. And, I, and of course it go it goes into my conversion therapy story a little bit too, um, but I don't know. I mean, there were people that said that they've always known, like my fan, some of my family members are yeah. like, oh, we knew forever. Like we were just waiting, sure. you know, we were knocking on the door waiting for you to come out. Like my lesbian aunts did that to me when I came out, they're like, oh yeah, we knew when you were 12 because there's this one time where you said you wanted to decorate your room with tiki themed. And we knew from that moment <laughs> and I'm just like, listen up. Like that's not a thing. Number one. Right, right, right. No, but there's always, when you came out, when I came out, there was always these people that mm-hmm. I, I had two, two very extreme different you know, responses. It was either mm-hmm. what? Like we had no clue. And then other people like, Oh yeah, we were in drama club with you in high school. Like, let's mm-hmm. just be real. Totally. Right. I mean, <laughs> well, and I was part of this group. It was, it was, uh, there were four of us, including myself. And they would always like, they would like try to get me to come out of the closet all the time. And I was like, Oh no, no, I'm not gay. No. And right. were any of them gay? Yeah, they were. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, um, uh, one of them was another gay male. Um, and then one of them was a lesbian woman. And then the other one, we don't know. And I don't think she's ever disclosed. Mystery. Okay. Uh, it, actually, uh, a really fun twist in that is that... If the, you have any information about this person... <laughs> email us at info at thelifeafter.org. 1-800-thelifeafter.org. Backslash out them now. <laughs> actually, the, the one that we don't, that we never knew about, she actually got engaged to the other gay guy in the group. They, like, oh. got engaged. And so okay. I guess I guess he's not gay, he's bisexual but right. he identified as gay up until that point so Either i that or they're saving on that tax money oh that too yeah go. well they didn't it didn't work out at all so, uh, okay. <laughs> so maybe oh, we don't our, know our condolences um <laughs> okay so you you, you had this person passed away we <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you, uh, I'm, I'm, you're painting a good picture of you. I'm, I'm starting to understand who you were when you were younger. You were bullied. You were told that you're gay. Uh, did you? When was your first time coming out to someone? When? What was that like? Um. So the first time I actually came out to said to anybody anything about my sexuality was actually on an online chat room type. Yes, deal, that's how I got. My which stuff. I mean, it's not uncommon. So that, from what I hear. Um, so that was really the first place. And of course, everyone's like, oh, that's great. Oh, fantastic. So it was, 
it was fine. Um, but actually, in person, um, it, it was funny. I um, wait. I'm sorry. What chat room? I'm curious. <sighs> Mine was Yahoo chat rooms. That was yeah. a big oh, thing yeah. back in the day. Okay. But it got. It's no longer. It's no. It is Yahoo is no more. They declared it bankruptcy. Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, I think it, it was IMVU, I think is what it's called. Okay. It's like one of those things where you like can create an avatar and like oh, yeah. walk around. Tied a shirt avatar. Right, yeah, no. <laughs> right. This is the real me, guys. <laughs> that was Curtis back then. I love it. No, I had the emo hair and everything, the skinny jeans. Oh, My yeah, avatar yeah, yeah. was was. You showed us that picture, that yeah, was great. Yeah, it was yeah. totally MC like My Chemical Romance. Like, oh yes. It was yeah. great. Yeah, that was... Okay, so who was the first person you came out to in person? So it was actually um, two of my friends that were part of that same group. Uh, I had gone over to one of their houses, um, and uh, I was like, oh, hey, you know, I, I am gay. And it, it took me a little bit to tell them, like, work up to it's it. It's hard, like, yeah. Yeah, it was. like, And I, I knew they'd be accepting, but like, part of me was like, well, I have to admit they were right, <laughs> and I didn't right. want to. Um. Because it, it is kind of frustrating to come out and get back all this feedback. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We knew you were like, you know what I mean? That it, There is kind of like a little bit of a, oh, am I not hiding this well enough? Like, how many mm-hmm. other people have figured this out about me? You know, things like that. It, 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 is, it is hard in addition to coming. Because I was very, very religious. And so mm-hmm. um, it was really hard for me to even talk about that at all. And then on top of that, to kind of like, oh, my God, like how many other people have figured out? Right. It's about me, you know, that sort of thing. Well, it was, they didn't believe me at first. They didn't think I was actually coming out. They thought I was kidding. And for like 15 minutes. And then finally I was like, um, so yeah, now that I'm gay, they're like, wait, you were serious? And I was like, uh, yeah. So it, yeah, I stressed out for nothing. They thought I was kidding. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So at what point then did your parents or your family kind of have this idea of, oh yeah, we need to get this fixed about you. Well, What was the attitude there? My parents say that they had no idea. And I'm like, well, that's that's BS, but okay. It was, so, so, so what you need to understand about my, my family is that they have a very, um, they have a very like, man is the center of the family view. So Very, very right. much patriarchy. Okay. Right, 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 right. Um, I mean, it's not like overbearing, but it's, that's the idea. And that... You know, it's a very conservative view. They have very conservative views. Anyways, mm-hmm. so I had a friend who was in high school, and I had gotten my license, my driver's license, and she had not. And her boyfriend lived in a town uh, five minutes away from mine. And um, so she asked me if I could give her a ride to her boyfriend's house. And I'm like, yeah, that's no problem. But I had just gotten my license, so I wasn't allowed to drive outside of town by myself. Um, so I text my mom and I was like, Hey, one of my friends wants to go, um, wants, wants to go see her boyfriend. Can I take her? It's in this other town. And my mom goes, well, no, you're not allowed to, um, or no, she called me. Yeah. No, she didn't text me. She called me and she's like, well, why would she, why would she want you to take him? Why, why would he be okay with you taking his girlfriend to him? And I'm like, well, she's my friend. He knows I'm not going to do anything with <laughs> oh, her. Oh, it's one of those things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like and the so, Billy Graham rule. Yeah. So then I got home. She told me I just need that. No, I needed to go home. So I went home and my dad was there and he was like, <laughs> I always use the son. I need to talk to you about something. Oh yeah. That's a good, that's a good, <laughs> that's dad, a good voice. dad voice. I always, yeah. 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 Um, 
<laughs> but he sat me down and he 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 says, so you wanted to take this girl to her boyfriend? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, well, why would he be okay with that? You know, most guys, um, we went back and forth a little bit and he said, most guys would not be okay with that, uh, would not be okay with another man bringing their girlfriend to him unless they were gay. Is that the case? And I said, well, if you won't be mad, then yes. (laughs) So that's Mm. how it came out. And then he Mm. told my mom. So I didn't really tell my mom. He Mm. told her. Mm-hmm. But and it was at that point that they realized they wanted to put you through therapy. No, no, it gets worse. So we went back and forth a little bit. My parents didn't quite know what to think. My dad's did say at one point he's like, "Well, as long as you're happy, I'm happy, and that's all that matters." I'm like, "Okay, cool. So this is how it's gonna go. Great." Well, a couple of days later, um, I had gone to a speech meet. So I was in the speech team. We would go compete, and it was like an all day thing on a Saturday. Um, and, um, I come home and my mom, my mom was sitting at the computer and she goes, have you been talking to other people like strangers online? And I'm like, what? No, never. I would never do that. Right. And so she, she just got really angry. She's like, tell me the truth. And it just went from there where she had found my account. She, she found your avatar. She, yeah, she did. She did. She found, mm. she found all my stuff and, and she she's found, like, he's got a rainbow shirt on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> No, she had found, and like, there's like, with the sex, not sexting, but um, uh, uh, cybering is what it was. It was online. Oh, like, God, I have not heard that phrase yes, in forever. Cybering. Yes. Yes. So like, I, I experimented with cybering. So right. awful. Um, but she found all of that, which is so embarrassing. And yeah, I don't yeah, even. That's really that's I'm very, so uh, sorry. That's very, uh, part, that's very personal. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, so they found all that and they, they freaked out after that because they're like, you're talking to these strangers they could be anybody they you know what if they know their inf- your information and they were they were legitimately scared that someone was gonna come and like abduct me and rape me and whatnot because uh-huh. they've been oh, watching yeah. 60 minutes and 60 minutes tells you yeah yeah chat rooms were like the scariest thing in the 2000s it was yeah the scariest yeah, don't you was... dare ever answer asl right because too... if you answer ASL, asl they will know your social security <laughs> <ASL>. number <laughs> <laughs> this was 2010 yeah 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 definitely wow so. when you say cybering i get this idea of like some futuristic like um like, like cyberpunk like some vaporwave <laughs> synth going it was <laughs> it was something <laughs> no it's like like half of us are like robotic and you can just like stick a usb in our head and we're just like yeah cyber um <laughs> well and i had i had exchanged my phone number with some guys so i had gotten oh, like yeah, very yeah like ballsy with it like uh-huh. thinking back i'm like why did i do that like I did, I did the same thing and it took a while to like oh my god yeah i'm like oh my god what? and thinking so back i was like that was it was i probably shouldn't have done all that um it was fun at the time but, but... it was your only way of expressing right part like of who you I, were. in a small town isolated the only gay people i knew were the ones at my high school and in that in that um setting it was always the gay kids the gross whore that sleeps with that tries to sleep with all of the guys in the school and that they're gross that was the thing that's how they worded it yeah well not quite like that but that was the general air that they had these diseases and all these different things and then when i was like wait i'm gay so wait (laughs) what does that say about me then right yeah there's this there's this very pervasive idea of the gay man especially then especially like 10 20 years ago that it's just that all the gays are just going around, just fucking everything, 
and there there's this uncomfortable there's this like like it's out of like you're out of control you're a huge pervert you can't yeah. control your sexual impulses and you're mm. gonna get aids or like you're gonna walk around the city wearing like just like a piece of cloth Mesh. and just right. like well, with I mean, a boner all, ready to go you know what i mean it's like ridiculous i mean you are describing curtis but it's totally oh, yeah, that's ridiculous totally me. Yeah. yeah i mean i that's mean he's I got do. this he's got a good loincloth going yeah right yeah you know cloth. i i left my collar at home by accident <laughs> it's fine it's whatever uh we do need to take a break but when we get back i i want to hear um more about your conversion therapy experience because i i never had experienced this so listening to your story and everything the other day i'm just dumbfounded um We'll jump right into that right when we get back. Do you have a story you want to tell us? Or a question you want answered? Do you need advice on how to handle family members who are upset at you because you're wrestling with your beliefs or leaving your religion? Have you experienced some weird religious shit that you need to tell people that might actually get it? Then contact us. Go to thelifeafter.org, all one word, and click the Contact Us page. Or Facebook us at facebook.com backslash the life after org. Or email us at info at the life after dot org. We would love to hear, hear from. Uh, let's do it together. Okay. One, two, three. We'd, We'd love, love to, to hear, hear from, from you. you. Or when you email us, send us a voice recording. We really like that too. Welcome back. Curtis, tell us about what the hell this conversion therapy was like. How did your family find this 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 place? You know, I'm not sure how they found him. They told me, so they they I told them that I wanted a therapist, um, and uh, because I didn't I didn't know what to do with my feelings. You know, I, I didn't know what to think, anything like that. So I told them I wanted a therapist, and I had told them before. And at the time, I realized that it was because I was gay. I didn't know what to do with it, and I was suffering from anxiety and depression, un- undiagnosed. Yeah. Um. And so I told him I wanted a therapist um, because I had been depressed, um, but they didn't want to get me a therapist that was outside of the Christian faith. And they were worried um, that that they would find someone, um, they, they would find a, a counselor that would not be Christian and they would... Uh, um, lead you away or something. Lead me away, but uh, not... God, what's the word? Um, like a liberal arts college. <laughs> which is where they sent me afterwards. <laughs> right. Um no, uh they, they they would be gay affirming basically is okay, what okay. that would be uh, oh, I guess. Okay. They they okay. they would they they wouldn't tell me not to be. Um they they would be afraid that they would just ignore that, I think. So did you feel like up front uh that your parents had like a they were like, "Oh, you have you struggle with with same-sex attraction," quote unquote, Ugh. as they say. And yes. you and were they up front like very much like, oh, we need to fix this yes. or was it? Okay. Yes. Um, at, at first I didn't know that's what was happening when I went to this counseling. Um, oh. They told me they wanted me to go talk to somebody about it, but I didn't know this counselor would actually actively try and change my sexuality, uh-huh. um, which clearly worked so well. But um, oh, no. for our listeners, it, it did not work. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I don't know how they found him. I think they just called around until they were referred to him. I don't know how, I don't know how they found him or if, because he's not labeled, um, as a, uh, gay conversion, like 
therapist or anything that's like that. That's just one of his many... I don't even know if he would consider himself that. I think sure. he would consider it more of fixing a sexual it's, problem. It's Christian counseling, right? It's right, 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 right. Counseling according to the to Christian doctrine. And this right. guy was kind of far for you guys. He was like an hour and a half Yeah, like an hour and a half away. It was forever. Oh, gosh. That's, yeah, that's and it was just awful because I would just sit in the car with my parents just in silence because <laughs> it's like they took my phone away. They took my car away. They took away everything. I couldn't get on. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't, I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't anything. Why? Wait. I, I don't. Well... They, I, I, I listened to some questionable music that uh-huh. was not My Chemical Romance. Uh, they were okay right. with that. They okay. were fine with that. That sure. was fine. That was fine. My angsty teenager, sure. Um, but they took away my car because they didn't. They didn't know if I had been driving places that they wouldn't approve of. They took away my phone because I'd been oh, talking okay. to people I shouldn't be. They took away internet access. It, it was, this was all a result of you coming out. This was a result of me coming out and then them finding my online things where I had oh, been exploring right, okay, my sexuality okay, okay. So openly like... and exposing myself to other people about right, it. Right, right, okay. Um, so, and I, they didn't want me watching TV. Um, they they uh, were thinking about pulling me out of school because they saw wow. it as like this... There's a lot. Yeah, they saw it as this uh, haven where homosexuality was just accepted in right. high school. And public I'm like... school. Oh, no, just the public the public in general. <laughs> Gotta yeah. keep them right. away from the public where and they I might actually like, be accepted for who they are. And I right? was like, you do realize that if I'm just walking down the street and see a hot man, like, I'm gonna look at him. Right. And they're right. like, well, don't do that. I'm like, well, that's okay. So, how did, and how did you feel about all, like, what were your thoughts? Did you, did you, did you feel more like they were right and you needed to change or did you feel like, no, this is just who I am? No, no, no. I was, I was, this is who I am. You know, you need to be accepting of me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know I can't change this, and I was very like I this is how it is, like this is it. Yeah. Um. And they would tell me that well, that's that's what that's what the gay propaganda wants you to think. That's right. it's scripted. This is what you're scripted to say. And I'm like I don't think. In fact, in in one of my things, um. Oh, I don't even know. Well, tell our listeners Take about your, this paper. Right, oh, like, okay, what, what are yeah. these papers? Right, that okay, you have here? so uh, afterwards, and after I, or, or right before, actually, right before I went and um, testified uh, against conversion therapy, I emailed my counselor. I found him online, and I emailed him, and I was like, "I'm 18 now. Um, you may remember me as one of your patients. I'm requesting the full a full copy of my entire file." And I got it. I got my whole thing. It contains quotes. It contains my treatment plan, quote unquote. Uh, it, it includes contracts that I signed, all okay. of my binding legal documents. And so there are quotes from what my family said and uh, different things. Um, and, and somewhere in here, it said like, uh, it, sa- it said in here, it says, um, we are concerned he has been brainwashed by the homosexual movement. The agenda, the homosexual agenda, the gay agenda, the gay agenda, the gay agenda. Yeah. And they, uh, you lived in a small town. I mean, yeah, you, you, all the gays are there through clearly. the internet. I no. guess is that the only way? Is- I don't know. The, I don't know. I don't know how. I think. Well, there, there's something else in here, which is interesting. It talks about my. It, it talks about my group of friends that, that that's inter uh, that. There were some that were gay, and they talk about how the ringleader was gay. And I'm like, 
the ringleader who uh, apparently the the other gay guy in my friend group was the ringleader who was like pushing this gay agenda upon us and it was just accepted in my high school and that's just how it was right so i, I and i and at this point they were freaking out i mean i'm not like trying to badmouth my parents they they were very very lost on this as well um but it was just it was it was the culture in that area and it still very much is for a lot of people I mean, it, it sounds like they were really trying to create an us versus them mentality. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it, it had been. And that strikes fear. And we know fear motivates people yes. to respond in ways that are not productive. How do you feel when you go through this binder that you have? Because, I mean, how old were you at this time? 16? I was Is 16, that... yes. So, yes. I mean, here we are with like an adult. Mm -hmm. I don't even care what the, the the subject is. If you are a 16-year-old and an adult is writing about the things that you say and how you feel, there's something very personal and strange about that because you're not an adult yet. You're you're an adolescent. And so to hear their take on what you're doing and to like you're literally putting yourself bare in front of these people and say, "Okay, now judge me." And they're mm -hmm. writing every single judgment about you down. And now you have a memento of that. You have a a weird ass scrapbook of shame, yeah. you know, how do how do you feel when you read this stuff? I mean, I try to be as positive as I can. I mean, I'm not going to say that like I'm 100% completely over it. Cause that's just not ever going to happen. There's always going to be those feelings of anger that I have towards my parents at it. And they know that I have that and they, I mean, we'll get into how they feel later, but the, I kind of laugh at it sometimes. I'm just like, what 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 was this guy even thinking? Like I I look at what he was trying to do and just how ludicrous it is. And I mean it, it does hurt to read it, and but I I'm I'm past the point of like where it like really gets to me. I've kind of consoled with it, and it's just like oh my god they did this, and I'm like this guy is in a is a nut. Like that's just basically you know when I look at it, I, I'm just kind of desensitized to it because it's just mm. I've come to terms with it right. and I've read it so you're, many you're, times. You're confident enough in your own I've written about it, your own yeah. personhood wow. that you're like, oh, this is ridiculous. And it's I, so I foreign to who this. you are now. Right. So what, what were some of the things in this, In this, what were the, some of the, the instructions that he gave you that, yeah. that stand out to you or that you think were particularly like crazy, right? Um, well, there, oh my God, there's so much. Um, there's a lot. There is, there is a lot. so yeah. much. All, all 19 pages, which right. is all it took. Um, I mean, there were things in here that weren't so bad, like the eating healthy and the exercising. I mean, assuming that I didn't, which I didn't, but, right. <laughs> um, uh, just things in here, like the masculine characteristic activities that I'm going to be adopt a more masculine persona. Like, what does that even mean? What does that entail? He's like, he will learn to frame things in a masculine frame. Male characteristic activities could be taking charge, being in control, and feeling comp competently powerful. Like, right. what? Like, how do I put this into those practice? Are, what do you mean? Those are man things. Is it, that not clear to everybody? Clearly, that's what I need to be doing, and I'm not how, doing it. How manly was this guy? He wasn't at all. Was it? I mean, what does manly mean? What is? What the fuck is that? He showed us a picture, and the guy was wearing a turtleneck. Right. Let's talk about turtlenecks for a moment. All right, that's it. For the rest of the hour, we're talking about turtlenecks. There's no. What is? What is this masculine and feminine? Like, what are the? What is that? Like, you know, it's funny. I remember. Why is gay? Why is gay feminine? Does gay mean feminine? Is that you know what I mean? Right. Right. Is gay unmasculine? Like, because I mean, we grew up with. 
you know, the books like Wild at Heart and Captivating. And so those were like the two big ones. One, I don't know if you knew about these, Curtis, but like Wild at Heart was this one bit. It's all about like how to be a man and, you know, manly stuff. You want right. to go out into the wilderness and, you know, women are for the garden and like, yeah. um, you know, yeah, because yeah. that's where Adam and Eve were created. One was created yeah, in wilderness. Yeah. One was, so all this, all this stuff. And so it, they have all these like very rigid gender ideas of what, you know, everybody's supposed to fit into. And I remember going to a uh, kind of more of a liberal, Christian music music festival and there was a there was a breakout session about people who don't fit into these categories and I remember back then I was like uncomfortable because I was like no I mean we all need to fit into these categories this is how we're supposed to be this is what biblical masculinity and biblical femininity like is supposed to look like so you need to fit into these and if you don't fit into them then you're not doing what the bible says you know and um I really wrestled with that for a long time so but now mm-hmm. I'm just like, be yourself and who cares? That's what I'm saying is right. that this this is masculine. It's an unhelpful descriptor, right? It's it's mm-hmm. you're just who you are, right? Like there's this there's this huge gender spectrum that is growing and massive and it's and it's insane. And we all like you know, fit into it somewhere, but like, who cares? Like, and if you, you want to wear too. pink dresses and use a chainsaw, like, that's you. Like, be right. that, right? It doesn't mean anything about like this dichotomy that we that our culture has created. So it's just, a, it's totally unhelpful, you know? I agree. What, what did a normal session look like with this man? Um, so normal session would, uh, I would come in with my parents or it would either be one or both of them. Um, it just depended on their work schedules and what was going on. And to keep note, I do have, I do have a younger brother who was five years younger than me. So he was 11 at the time, had no idea any of this was going on. Oh, okay. No idea. They kept it from him. Um, kept it from the rest of my family as well. They said that I was just going down to some life coach. Every how week. does that make you, how did that make you feel though? That like that not only were you keeping the secret, but now that the secret is out now they were trying to keep the secret. It was, it was weird. I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing about the culture around this, these small areas is that everyone knows your business yeah, and it's all about appearance and it, it still very much is in a lot of aspects, but it was very much, well, what are other people going to think about us? What are other people yes, going to think yeah. if our, our son's gay? What is that going to say about us? Mm-hmm. And it got to the point when I started speaking out about, uh, conversion therapy, like, well, that's going to make us look bad. Like, we could lose our jobs from this, and you know, wow. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what they—that's the that's where they came from. Right. Like, it was completely natural on their end, and wow. you know, I'm, but um, yeah. Uh, so b- back to what um, the session looked like. I would go in. Um, I would sit down in the waiting room. This was in this man's house, so this was a residential area. He had an office room, and then he had his living room slash waiting room area. And there was like different magazines and stuff. So I'd sit out there for an hour while my parents were in there talking with him, doing nothing. Or sometimes he would have me like watch videos that demonize the gay community and show them in a bad wow, light, like okay. flipping off people talking about God. Like, look at these heathens flipping us off. Wait, wait tell, oh. us, tell me more about these videos. Like, it would just show like gay people doing mean things or what? It was it not. It, it was showing like the men running around in just their underwear. Like, oh, look at these, look at these people. They run around and they're, they're, they're nude and they're all just all about sex, all about sex. And it was, it, it tried to demonize them, you know, like the drag queens. Oh, look at this person. He's, he's cross dressing like, oh, it's against God. So that kind of thing. And then he would ask me like, well, what did you think about that? 
what did you think when you saw this? That, that or the is other? bonkers. Yeah. And I mean, at the time it was like, oh, well, I mean, it was kind of weird because I had never been exposed to something like that before. Like, I didn't even know what I was watching. I later realized I was watching a pride parade. Um, but, but it's like propaganda almost. Yes, it was propaganda. It was anti-gay propaganda wow. right he there. He just showed you RuPaul's Drag Race. I, you know. That would have made the weight better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you wait better. <laughs> so you just had to sit here and wait while he was talking to yes. your parents. And I had no idea what they were talking about. He, they would talk. To, I mean, it's in here now. I can see what they talked about, and it's disgusting. Um, Do you mind if I ask, like, what kind of things? I mean, it was mostly like a, a lot of what I've ar- already said about, like, um, uh, stuff about. Uh, there are a number of young people in this group who have come out at with come out with homosexuality, uh, talking about my group of friends with, with as if it was like a disease or something. Right, right. Um, saying things like we sort of had our heads in the sand, thinking he was such a good child. Um, wow. I don't know where along the way he started choosing this and stuff oh, like my that. God. Like, Curtis, I'm oh, so it was, sorry. Oh, yeah. it was awful. And I didn't know that they were saying these things. I mean, right. it, it doesn't surprise me. Um, but I mean, I'm thinking like, but it's like direct quotes Two these two parents that are agonizing over their son for wrongfully. So they don't need to be agonizing, but put him in there with another adult who's demonizing this stuff. All that's going to do is just perpetuate more fear. Oh, that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what happened. Um, yeah, it got, it got pretty bad. I mean, it never... There was never any violent, physical violence towards me. There was, of course, emotional and mental and stuff like that. But there's never any physical, so I, I, I do, I do appreciate that part that they didn't like strap electrodes on to me or something like that. Right, right. Uh, but I would go in there, and after they were done, they would sit out in the waiting room and wait on me to get done. Sometimes they would run to McDonald's and whatnot. <laughs> I had to stay there. Um, but I would go in there and I would talk to him and he would just, he would ask me questions and he would ask me questions, which was very, very backwards for a therapist. Because when you go to a therapist, you're talking to them about your problems, not them asking you about things and trying to change your mind and open you up to a different way of thinking. It's important that they're not asking you leading questions that are like right. trying to push their personal agenda. And that's exactly what he was doing. Right. It was, it wasn't. It wasn't um, there. There's there's a big push um, against people that are like that that are for conversion therapy, saying, "Well, if we ban conversion therapy, then it bans talk therapy for um, for minors, which would mean the the counselor talking to the child about their sexuality." And like, and the big thing about that is like, it's not about you can't talk about sexuality; it's you can't tell this person that their sexuality is wrong and they should be something else. Right. Wow. That's yeah. the whole thing. So that's the big counter argument. We do need to take a break. When we get back, I want to hear about some of the questions that he would ask you. Um, We'll be right back after this. The Life After Facebook page is a great way to get in touch with other religion survivors. Also, we like to post interesting articles on there. And it's a good way to get a hold of us. And you won't need a concordance to find us. (laughs) We We have a link to the Facebook page on our website, thelifeafter.org. Or search The Life After on Facebook. Finally, you could just go to our URL, facebook.com slash thelifeafterorg. You ready, Nat? Okay. The counselor used the examples that some people are predisposed to be murderers, rageaholics, rapists, and child molesters, but they are not born that way. It is their choice if they allow their inclinations to go in those directions and they choose to practice those things. 
The counselor explained that homosexuality is similar. Some people are predisposed to it. It is their choice if they decide to become a homosexual by practicing it. That is the shit he said to you. Yes. Welcome back to the life after. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am enraged right now because yeah, sixteen yeah. um, year old me. He told he, me I was the same as a rapist and a murderer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but what other thing? Some people are predisposed to like sports. Some people, you know, enjoy art. Some to be, but all this. But no, we don't go there. Our right. mind is to put you in the same categories as as rapist all this so mm-hmm. but the same shit happened when i came out what i don't know if you've listened to, to the episode where i talked about yeah. my mm-hmm. life but like when i came out and and told my uh one of my family members that you know i was attracted to men uh they asked me five or six times within 30 minutes if i'd been molested because in their mind that was the only way that you become you become gay and then there was a concern for my son of that um, that he would be in danger of being around me or the people that I'm with um, these connections are bonkers these are bonkers mm-hmm. I am so sorry you had to go through this what other questions did he ask you during these therapy sessions um because I'm looking through your notes and they even right. like talked about oh, there's just so you're much. not you shouldn't be masturbating, you shouldn't be blah 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 blah. Well, like, no, no, he like, didn't tell me I shouldn't be masturbating. He told me that if I do masturbate, I should masturbate to the image of women. Right. Ugh. That's what fixes you. Clearly. I, there was a bit in there about uh about think about women, right? And figure out what it is you like about them. Oh yes. Uh it what, was what, how did I go? What for attracts you, you to women? <laughs> It was um, study women to figure out what types study of characters. Women. Study them as if they are an object on a table. Right. 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 Like you just pull out a Pokedex and you're like, oh, she's outgoing. Was there any point during this period where you were like, I, this is kind of working. Like this, maybe this is working. I don't know. No. Um, no. There was. <laughs> I love that answer. There was a time, I mean, I the whole time I thought this whole thing was just batshit crazy. And I knew it was, but there, I, it was almost like a coping mechanism where I just had to start going with it. And I started trying to convince myself. I'm like, oh, maybe this, you know, let's try this. Maybe it'll work. Let's do this. You know, let's get this to stop. Um, so it was... No, it, it was just, I, I just always thought it was crazy, yeah, but yeah. I, I did try to go along with it just to get it to stop. Sure. Well, I think you part know? of it too, and tell me if I'm wrong, and I'm not trying to like put thoughts in your mind or, or ask leading questions or anything like that, but do you think part of it was you wanted to have a common enemy with your parents to bring your family together? You know what I'm saying? Where it was kind of like, yeah, the enemy is definitely this homosexuality, mom and dad. Like, let's work on this together so we can get along. Or how, how was that for you? No, I had gone into it. I had not really gone into it, but I, I went into it knowing full well that if it continued down this way and that my parents still thought this way, that I would, when I turned 18, I would leave. Like, I would just disconnect myself from my family and I would just leave. That was my plan was to make it to 18 and then I could get the hell out. Um, thankfully I didn't have to do that, but, uh, that was my whole thing. Like I was just going to get through it the best way I can. And there were parts in there where I talked about, um, how I was scared if they did, if, if you could actually change, 
um, sexuality that I would become asexual because I was like, I cannot be attracted to a woman. It's just not going to happen. Um, So I was very scared in that. And the counselor affirmed that, telling me that in the Bible, eunuchs are praised and that it's fine if I don't have any sexual attraction. Oh, my God. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that that this started tearing your family apart. Yes. Mm -hmm. How did, like, what, in, in what way did that? It was because... The counselor painted this picture that um, the fact that, because he he would ask me questions like, how are you feeling? Are you having decreases in these feelings? How do you feel about this? If I, if, if, you know, like those videos, like, how do you feel about that video? What do you see when you see that video? Right. And I wasn't making any progress um, in his eyes anyways. Um, So then he would tell my parents that I'm not trying hard enough or I'm and my parents are like oh he's resisting us and he doesn't want to talk to us and um when we bring up anything he gets mad about it and so it was very much he turned it into my parents against me that's what he turned it into it was uh we're going after we're going after Curtis and we're going to get him to break and we're going to get through to him that's that's what it was yeah yeah um so you're very much on the defensive at this point you don't really have like your house is not a safe place for you right 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 um yeah i mean and it it was one of those where i became passive during it just to get it to stop because i couldn't escape like i was 16 and i was stuck in it like there was nothing i could do um and there were many nights that like my parents went on like you know that we would like i mentioned before we had never been like a really religious family we had never been i mean we went to church sometimes but it was to the point where like I had to sign the visitor log because I wasn't there all the time and was not a member and whatever, you know. Um, but at the time, I had become a member of the church, per se. I was baptized, whatever. Um, but uh, after that, it just kind of became crazy. And, like, everything was everything was suspicious to my parents. Like, well, why did you lock the door the other day? Or, like... I was cleaning. Uh, I remember yeah. one time I was in my room and I was listening to music because they gave, they gave me my radio back and I could listen to the radio again. Congratulations. Yeah, it was great. And I was cleaning my room and I was like doing a deep cleaning because literally I would like find things to do around the house just so that my parents would leave me alone and I could have right. some. Because it, it turned into very much that we have to be on top of Curtis. We have to monitor him. We have to make sure he's okay. We have to ask him these questions. We have to make sure he's not doing There's a paranoia and a fear yes. that rules Paranoia, very much. And it was that, you know, it and the, the, this thing had infiltrated our house once before. It could do it again. Um, so I was, like, cleaning my room. My mom comes in. And I... And I I take a long time to do anything. <laughs> so it took me a long time and I had a lot of crap under my bed and I was like pulling out my bed and everything. And my mom comes up, she goes, why isn't your room clean yet? And I was like, cause I've been listening to music and going through old papers. I found, she's like, are you hiding something in here? And I was like, no, she's like, are you hiding drugs in your room? So it was just that whole crazy. Right. It was so just, everything just became just a everything. Big thing. Oh, everything right. was yeah. a big thing. It was just so awful. And the, the, the counselor, like that's what, he was, like he was adding fuel to that fire. Yes, I mean, he, he literally parents are like that, but you I mean you've got like this whole other. Yeah, they're like that, but other, like yeah, it's like this is not normal. It's like don't be busting in my room, accusing me of <laughs> when I'm actively doing something like cleaning my room. Don't accuse me of hiding drugs. You know, it's like right, I don't right. have drugs in here. I'm cleaning my room. Like 
16 year olds do. I take my time, you know? So it it became something like that. Um, This one time my dad, um, I don't remember exactly the circumstances around it because there's just so much, um, like I keep saying. Um, But he had come into my room with my, and my mom was in there too. And we were fighting about something. And it was one of those things, it was towards the end where I had just had enough. I just had enough of it. And I was really starting to push back a lot. And, um, my dad just is, is my dad starts crying and he's like, he tells me that God is speaking to him at that moment, that he's speaking to him at that moment. And that, um, his, uh, that he needs to pray with me and that there's so much hatred in me and that that's what's this, this problem. And there's so much hatred for, for my family and that I, uh, that I'm scared of moving forward because I have uh, the devil speaking to me and just different crazy stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was an intense moment where it was just like, Oh my God, this is insane. This is like very real for, for your parents. Like this is a huge problem that has to be overcome instead of just a thing that can be accepted. Right. Right. Just, just let it, B right is the mm-hmm. probably is the best explanation mm-hmm. for this problem. Yeah, like, but leave me alone. <laughs> but there's this we have to get rid of this, and it becomes this monumental right. goal, right? And so, it's a group effort. That's mm-hmm. what's killing right. me too. Is that the entire family has it's to be unified? Rally, right? Ugh. Except for the people we don't want to know. So, so True. speaking of goals, like, what would you say the the goal of this therapy that you were going to was? Was it to what were they trying to accomplish? I mean, like, was it to make you straight? Yes, or? yes, it was. Uh, actually, you can, uh, there are um, there are goals listed at the very top of this page, actually, of what they want. Um, so goal number one is to realize that homosexuality is a choice. Um, then goal number okay. two is better wow. self-worth and value, a sense of value. Um, and then goal number three was better equipped to deal with emotions and show emotions. So there we have, like... They want me to like show emotions to them. It's like I had put up walls. Like I didn't want to show my emotions because when I did, all this happened. You, you didn't know, feel safe, right? Right, yeah. right, right, right. And I mean, that's just kind of how I've always been, anyways. I I'm not an extremely emotional person. Like sure. I've never cried while telling this story before. It's just, it's I just even though it's super intense, right? Right, like it's super intense, yeah. super painful. But it's like I just don't have the urge to cry. It's like I don't want to, and it's like I don't need to. I never really did. Um, but there was this weird middle ground where, like, I had, um, where I was talking about how I was scared I was going to be asexual. And I was, and I told them, I'm like, I'm just going to be asexual for a little bit. I don't like anyone just to get them to stop. And that was deemed adequate enough okay. to where it kind of pulled, pulled back. I wasn't I'm like, oh, well, thank God he's not homosexual anymore. He's at least asexual and right. doesn't have any sort of sexual urges, which I knew was complete bullshit. Yeah, but, there's no way. Yeah, I was like, yeah. But there was a point where, if I remember reading your notes, that, that you sort of were like, okay, fine, I'll be asexual. Right, right? it, like it was reluctant. Like, can we, ple- can we yeah. just do... Can, can we, we please stop, Get right. this over with, I'll be asexual. Right, 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 yeah. Right, which is just in- incredibly unhealthy, right? right? I mean, to repress such an important part of yourself is mm-hmm. not Well, he even says in here well. that, yeah. the, that sexuality as an identity is a misnomer in society. That's exactly what he says in here. Wow. And I'm like, okay. I don't think that's quite a right. misnomer in society. Yeah. So, this is... This has been hard to listen to, right? This is yeah. this is intense stuff, and I'm sure for Brady, probably even more so. And for a lot of our listeners, this is like very real. 
stuff. So what would you, like somebody that's been through conversion therapy or has been told by a church leader or their parents or somebody authoritative in their life that, that they need to change their orientation uh, how did you sort of recover from that? How did you begin to, to mm. heal from that? And what would you say to somebody that's like been through something similar and is trying to sort of heal? Well, I mean, when I say that I went through this for three months, I was actually seeing this counselor for three months. Um, it actually continued years and years after um, with the, the the pain and the anger between me and my parents. Um, it was like two years later that I, no, it may have been a year afterwards that I got my first boyfriend that I had to completely hide, and it was just this whole uproar mm-hmm. when they found out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it continued. It just wasn't me going down to this counselor anymore and getting these recommendations or whatever. Um I mean, it, it's so hard to to have advice for someone going through it because there's so many different levels. It's like, I have advice for someone that was in my position. For someone in my position, it's, you know, stick to what you believe in or what you know of yourself. Don't let yes, them define yes. you. Um, for someone that is threatened with actual like physical violence and they're scared for their life, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, I can't tell them, Oh, stand up for yourself. Like, no, they can't, they can't do that. Yeah. I would say the same thing, you know, keep mm-hmm. what you know, don't, don't break, don't let them tell you who you are, but don't take any un- unnecessary risks. Don't, don't put yourself in that position, you know, just get, just get through it. I mean, that's really all, you know, <laughs> try to reach there, out where you can, I mean, but yeah, can you reach, can you reach out to somebody in that scenario? Or it, is that no, just still it's, not very... it's really hard because you're dealing with minors, people that are under, you know, their parents have complete say over what they right. do. And, you know, and if it, there's an obsession in that, um, that fear, the paranoia, you know, the contacts that they're having with other people, the, the text messages, the emails, the Facebook message, you yeah, know, it's probably you, being monitored. Yeah. Or whatever, and it's just you can't get out of it. You, you you can't, and I I certainly couldn't get out of it. The only solace I found was when I was able to get away, and I was able to um, talk with some of my friends and um different things like. They didn't really start to change until I started actively trying to speak out against it. Is when it really started to change. And it's such a it's such a mind fuck too to have this where you you know who you are deep down inside you know that you're attracted to men or, or or whatever but you're being told constantly well no that's just a choice yeah you know and and you've always got this question mark right? of like am i am i really interpreting myself well am i weak am i too weak am yeah. i not really spiritual yeah. enough if i'm i'm gonna those, those were the things that went through my my head and um i told you in one of the breaks that i, I put myself through therapy but it was like very light compared to what you know what mm-hmm. you had to go through um, and I, and I look back at that now and I think to myself, like, no, I, I knew who I was and I'm, I'm cool with it now. I'm, I love myself. I'm, you know, I think it's great yeah. that I am who I am, but when you're 16 years old and your family is against you and this counselor is against you and your church is against you and all these different things, but you know, deep down inside that it was not a choice, but they're saying that it was, 
um, right. You stick to your guns because you're the only one experiencing that. You made the choice when you chose to be accepting of it. Like that was your choice. That's right. Or to act on it. Right. Like the idea is that you're just supposed to sit there and, you know, deny all of your feelings. Oh, you can be asexual. That's fine. To touch. Right. 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 One of the important things that I think I'm hearing from both of you guys is, uh, find people that are safe and, and be open about how you actually feel. Yes. Even if you Mm -hmm. can't, be that with your parents or or with your counselor or whatever you're you're having to go through find safe people and have that conversation where i feel like i'm this way and i trust you and you you understand what i'm saying and and that's a, that's a safe that's a healthy place right that mm-hmm. helps mm-hmm. that right. nurtures your need to be yourself right right yeah i'm still dumbfounded that the number one goal was it number one or number two? Is for you to realize that homosexuality. Oh, it's is number it one. That was numero uno. Yes. In because insane. because insane. by realizing it's a choice, I would be able to decide not to. Yeah. That was the thinking. The step but one. It doesn't realize work. It's a choice. It doesn't step work that two, way. Flip the off switch. Right. And and you know we look at it as a conversion therapy, and I'm glad that a lot of people who started this trend with Exodus International and these other places are coming on and saying, no, we, we really don't have these right. Exodus international shut down the founder director apologized. I think maybe you were saying like, maybe not efficiently. I I think that some of the people that were really hurt by it does do not feel that the apology is good enough. I mean, but he, he fucked people's lives over. Right. For sure. You know, And you don't give a but half-assed man, apology to that. But the, the takeaway from that for me is that this man dedicated his adult life yeah. to changing people's sexual orientation. And at the end of the day, he said, I'm sorry I was wrong. You can't do that. Yeah. And he did. He shut down his organization. Like but he people still it. think that you can. That's, people still believe that you can part. and it's, it's insane. Like, it's I like, can't. how much have you thought about this? 10 minutes in your lifetime, you've sat there and thought like, oh, this is a choice. And you just believe that. This man spent his life deciding that he was going to, you know, change people, that he was going to do the Lord's work and convert people from gay to straight. And he decided at the end of the day, no, this isn't, it doesn't work. Right. It doesn't just, fucking just, work. And I have to apologize to these people that I, because I ruined their lives, you know? Right. Like, and all these kidding, people trusted sorry. me to accomplish this thing and it doesn't work. And it's because it's not a choice, right? And, you know, we, we have, when I was a Christian, I had such a high, high understanding of the Holy Spirit that he changes from the inside out all of this. Where was he? During this, you know, like if we want to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and conversion, like where is he when it comes to these people who I, you don't choose to be gay. I don't know how many else, how many times I need to say that there's no way in hell that I would go look at my life and say, oh, I know what's going to make this better. I'm going to be gay just to make everything so much easier. No, it fucks up so many things in so many lives, especially when you're brought up Christian. Mm -hmm. And especially when my situation, I wanted to be such a good God honoring man, you you know, there's no way in hell that I ever would volunteer as tribute to go through the hunger games of having my life just completely stabbed <laughs> you know what i mean like right and there's this insane uh, there's this really awful thing where where christians find like somebody who claims to have 
change their orientation. Yes. And even if, okay, um, even not. if they did, right? Like, right. let's say they legitimately changed their orientation. That's like one in a million people, like literally one in a million gays do that right right like mm-hmm. so the odds like no just because that dude right. did it or that does was, not mean that anybody can do it well and sexuality is expect is a spectrum so i mean yes. if let's say we do have somebody who's like oh yeah they they emphasize a lot of their attraction to men but they were able to change that to an attraction to women you know that's what i thought my story was going to be but right. really all you're doing is just finding you're sliding scale on a spectrum and yeah. finding a place where you can be comfortable and um, people do not choose to be gay. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that so much Christian theology is based upon that uh, for a lot of people is, is complete bonkers to me. Um, we, So this story, the, the one of the interesting things about my story, about your story to me is that, uh, it doesn't like there was this train wreck, right? When you were 16 to like mm-hmm. maybe 20 or something like that. But eventually your family came around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they decided, Oh, we were wrong. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. They accept you for who you are now. What was that? What was that like? What, what, what was the process? What do you think? Huge. What do you think? It was so, it was actually so weird and I wasn't expecting it at all. Like I, I had gone in and uh, by this time, I don't know, had I, okay, no, no, okay. So I was finishing up um, community college and I was graduating um, and moving to a four-year college where I would, uh, where I'd be (laughs) moved five hours away from home. Um, And that was actually a choice to get out of the, 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 the environment that I was in. And, um, I remember up until that point, things had been very, my parents had started to come around. Um, I would talk about my boyfriends that I have. Um, I remember my mom did comfort me one time when one of my boyfriends broke up with me and I was just heartbroken. Um, I, that's important. Yeah, it was. And I think she understood that, that it didn't matter. I needed her to be there regardless. And I think she got that. Um, I don't think she was very comfortable with it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but so on this, on this drive up, I was going to, um, to audition for some scholarships up, up, up at the college and, uh, my mom couldn't go. So it was just going to be me and my dad and my dad and I've always had a strained relationship and, um, it wasn't the best at that time. So here I was five hours in the car. Oh, wow. And uh, so we got up there. Everything's fine. You know, I we're, we're, we just chat. It's fine. Everything's fine going up there. But when we come back, um, after being at the college that I'm moving away to for two years and not going to be moving back home afterwards, um, he we get 20 minutes down the road of this five-hour drive, and... He turns, he goes, Curtis, I, I, I need to talk to you about something. And I'm like, oh, my oh, God. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, shit. And this that feeling. God, I'm like, like, I'm feeling it just hearing you tell I'm this like, story. I'm like, oh, God. I was like, he's got some, he's got some, something great's about to happen. I was like, it was, it was something. I, and I, I really didn't know what to expect. And he's like, you know, your mom and I have been talking and you're going to be moving away and you know, we, we haven't had the greatest couple of years. I am paraphrasing, of course. I don't remember exactly what he said. Uh, but he's like, 
if if your sexuality is something that's going to get in the way of our relationship with you, then it doesn't matter. And we don't care. It doesn't matter anymore. Wow. So that was just kind of it. And he was like, I've talked with your mother. Aaron, your, your mom is what he would have said. Uh, we've talked with your mom and uh, she feels the same way. Um, we don't care. You know, um, what you went with through the counselor was wrong. He was he was wrong. We were wrong. He didn't do he didn't do what we wanted, and he tore us further apart than brought us than what we mm-hmm. than what we thought was going to happen. Yeah. So yeah. And how after everything, how important is that for you to hear? It was very important because till that point, I was still in the thought process that someday I was going to have to cut them off and not have any mm-hmm. contact with mm-hmm. them. Uh, Because it would have been just very toxic, um, not being able to talk about my relationships. And and it would be like, well, what happens when I want to get married? Like, will they, will they want to come to my, my wedding or, you know, what, what if I have kids or something, you know, what, what, what then? Um, So it was, it was kind of a changing point. Um, It wasn't the end all fix all of everything. There were still some things to clear up and there, there still are things to clear up. But uh, it was, it was a really big step that I was just like, Oh my God, what did, what did that just happen? Like I remember texting my, my, my friend and I was like, so this just happened. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. So yeah, that's what happened with that. Um, Yeah. That's yeah. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. I think. I mean, yeah. like I, and you know, and I, I know. I realize. I recognize. It's not the the fix all. For right. Everything. Right. There's still some. There's a lot it, of pain it, there. There's still some trauma. Right. right. And it got progressively better. Right. It got progressively better. But God, how many how many people don't have like Brady? You know, you haven't had that conversation. And a lot of a lot of kids, a lot of gays, a lot of people that are out in different ways haven't had that conversation where their family says like oh we were wrong right. about this it was profound because like, i think that's so important yeah like i didn't i didn't expect it and i think i think what it was is that they realized that i was gonna cut contact and that i was mm-hmm. like i'm i'm their first child and this was the first time they were ever sending anyone off to college before so they i they realized um that this was it like if they if they didn't if they didn't change their thinking and they didn't analyze it from what it actually was, they were going to lose me. So it was like, wow. here he goes. This is our last chance to try and fix things. It's really saying that you are worth admitting that they're wrong. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you are worth that, you know. Right. To have you around. Right. Because you're right. cool. Right. And they like you and they're your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right, Brady. I... I want that so bad with my family, you know, and I'm, I'm so glad that you got that. That's amazing. I'm just, I'm dumbfounded. Um, I just want that so bad. I mean, I, I remember recently, I, I, like a year ago, I was seeing somebody and I tried to tell my mom about it. I don't know what I was thinking or why I even did it. And she's like, well, I guess I'm glad that you have a friend. And yeah. that was it. And it was like such a demeaning, like... Wouldn't acknowledge that it's romantic. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's huge. I'm so there's glad a, you got There's that. a huge spectrum represented here in this room, right? Yeah. I mean, like, you have... 
I hope somebody's listening that that needs to hear this, right? Yeah. Whether it's whether it's the victim or the or the perpetrator, whether it's somebody's parents that haven't come around, that haven't accepted, or or somebody that's really hurting that that wishes that their parents would accept them, or that their brother or their cousin or right. whoever whoever's important to them would accept them for who they are. Well, it's important that that I had set up an entire family outside of my own family like fully prepared like these are going to be the people that are going to be i mean it wasn't like a conscious thing but like i had a circle of people around me that was like i was really close to and they you know i had come to terms with the fact that i my actual family wasn't going to be my family right and that i would have a chosen family and a lot of people have that and i was fully prepared to have that but fortunately i didn't have to do that so now I have two families, but and it, it's a huge jump that your family made. I mean, oh yeah, the, it was... the double standard of Christianity, a lot of Christianity against homosexuality is is so incredibly disproportionate. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a gay affirming woman that I'm friends with on Facebook, and she's she does a lot with the Gay Christian Network and uh, the Reformation Project, excuse me, with uh, Matthew Vines, um, which is a group of, of Christians, a lot of them even very conservative, that um, have a more of a historical understanding of what homosexuality means in the Bible, and, and they're very gay-affirming. But she made a she made a thing on 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 Facebook today that that was a beautiful juxtaposition of Eugene Peterson, who is a big Christian leader. Um, he wrote the uh, the word. Is that the message, the message Bible, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. He came out as gay affirming uh, today mm-hmm. and um, he's gotten threats. Sure. Uh, he's been people saying that he needs to be kicked out of the mm. church and treated as if he was a non-Christian and all of this different stuff. But then also on the same side, there was a uh, group of Christians that went into Donald Trump's office and laid hands on him and prayed for him this week and accepted him. And the juxtaposition was that. You know, here's one man who's speaking out against homosexuality and he's being treated horribly. And there's another man who's living a blatant non-Christian life, but he's okay. We'll put our hands on him and we'll bless him and pray for him, Mm -hmm. you know, and just um, to see a Christian notice that hypocrisy and saying, no, this is really, really messed up, guys, um, was a beautiful thing, even though I don't, I don't identify as a Christian, but like to see that, Mm -hmm. um, it, we were raised in a very ab- abusive culture when it comes to homosexuality, um, that people use their religion to justify their, their homophobia, mm-hmm. to, to justify their xenophobia. And anybody who's different than them, they're going to hide behind their Christianity and they're going to do that. Um, it's disgusting. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that the next generation gets off their asses a little bit more and uh, puts a stop to it. Mm-hmm. Curtis, thanks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for Thank being you. Uh, honest and vulnerable. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, this is a, an intense episode. I'm feeling it. You know, it's going to mm-hmm. sit with me for a little bit. Um, so thank you for for sharing with us. And, no, and absolutely. I, awesome. I love sharing my story. So yeah. Uh, I'm Chuck Parson. Brady Harden here with me Uh, this is the life after thank you for listening thank you 